Well, it's wonderful to be with you again. Thank you so much for tuning in to watch this. And again, as I say nearly every week, my prayer is that this blesses you, feeds your soul, and gives you some things to think about as you walk with the Lord. Because it is Wednesday night, I did want to uh, say that we have a newsletter available at our website. And so if you'll go to gracewayokc.org, I'm talking to church members, of course, and you want to keep up on prayer requests and things like that, uh, they're available to you there, and that will help us stay a little bit more connected. And most of you probably know that, but just in case uh, you didn't or you had forgotten about it, that's always a resource that's available to you. We are uh, looking in Psalm 74. This is another Psalm of Asaph, just like Psalm 78 was. But in this one, this is a, a lament. This is something that Asaph looks at, and it's kind of a sad thing. He's looking back at the destruction of the temple. Now, the destruction of the temple happened because Nebuchadnezzar and his Chaldean armies, Babylonians, uh, they came and invaded the land, particularly the southern kingdom of Judah. And when they did, they took exiles, the brightest and the best, out of the land, nobility and skilled people, educated people, those that they deemed, you know, to be really bright, and they took them out of the land. Now, they did that for a couple of reasons. For one thing, they took them to Babylon so that it would help them. The other thing that it did is it would keep the nation of Judah and, by extension, Israel, that northern kingdom, from coming back. You didn't have people that were able to think and uh, people that were able to plan and people that were able to mobilize others. It would take them out of the land, put them in Babylon where they could be put to uh, their uses and their purposes. And that decimated the nation, the land of Israel, particularly the tribe of Judah. So with these people gone, who was left? Well, basically people that uh, the Babylonians didn't, didn't deem as being very worthy or worthwhile on anything, people that were poor, people that were uneducated, people that were unskilled. Well, that also leaves the land kind of in a lurch, I guess we might say. And so uh, an economic recovery would be very difficult. Rebuilding things would be very difficult for those people. And that was part of the plan. Keep them down. Keep them controllable. Keep them um, in a place where you want them. And also, they uh, ransacked the temple. Now, Solomon's temple was one of the wonders of the ancient world. People would travel back then from all parts of the earth just to see that temple, to see it for themselves. Well, now it is in ruins. It's a heap of rubble. And uh, Asaph is even going to describe that for us in here. And so everything has changed, and everything is, well, pretty bleak. There's not much hope. There's not any real um, idea of a recovery or anything like that. And so the natural thing that people would say is, where is God? Where is the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Where is the God that delivered us out of Egypt under Moses? Where is the God that um, allowed us to conquer this land in which we're living under the leadership of Joshua? Where is the God of David? Where is the God that made those covenants with the people? And I think you and I can understand this. 
Because sometimes we look and we wonder, how does this fit in with God's plan? How does this fit in with uh, some of those good things that are talked about in Romans 8.28? I personally have had times when I have said to the Lord, I don't see how this could work together for good. In fact, from my perspective, I don't see any good in it at all. And yet the Bible says so clearly that he works all things together for good to those who love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose, as he, in verse 29, conforms us to the image of his Son. But that doesn't always go the way we thought that it would go. And it also means that as we have experienced the good things of God, the power of God, the presence of God, the deliverance of God, those type of things... When those things are no longer active in our lives, we look back and we say, what happened and what went wrong? That's kind of where Asaph is on all of this. In fact, as I read through the verses we're going to look at today, I think about a line that I remember hearing from a song years ago, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And I think Asaph is looking back now saying, why, in a sense, why didn't we appreciate what we had? Why did we take it for granted? Why did we disobey God? Why did we lose everything that we had under the blessing and the grace and the power and the presence and the covenants of God? Why did we lose all of that? Well, of course, we know the answer. You have to read through the Old Testament. And you find that Israel went through this continual pattern of turning to other gods. Now, it wasn't like they abandoned the worship of Yahweh. Oh, they still had the temple. And they still had their little rituals and their sacrifices. And I say that, their little rituals, because that's exactly what they thought about it. It was something that they did that was kind of burdensome, kind of routine, kind of dull, kind of boring. It didn't seem fresh. It didn't seem new. It didn't seem to have any meaning, which is a lot of what Asaph was writing about in Psalm 78, if you remember. We've got to pass these things on to our children. They need to know the history, the stories, and the meaning, not just that we do it or we go through these rituals. Well, they were doing all of that, of course. But at the same time, they were kind of intrigued by the, uh, the newness, the excitement, the edginess, the sin, the immorality of the uh, Canaanite religions. And so they would go and they would be at the temple and they would do those things, the Passovers, the sacrifices, the feasts and other festivals. And then when that was over, then maybe they, the next day or two, they see their Canaanite neighbors. And boy, they are having a ball as they are going through their rituals. And uh, they were tempted. They were intrigued by all of that. And so the Jews would go and kind of participate in both. Now, this is what it means whenever you read in the Old Testament about high places High places are not like I got on a mountaintop and was close to God. No, the high places in the Old Testament, that's where they worshiped the idols. That's where they had all of the, the things that were so detestable to God. They were in the high places. So as they played this game, God would do things in Israel and Judah. He would withhold rain. Now Solomon had told them when the 
temple was dedicated, that that was going to be part of the chastisement of God. That was supposed to get their attention and cause them to repent. You know what it did? When they found out that the Canaanites said that Baal was the god of weather and the god of the atmosphere, that just caused them, instead of going to the temple, they would go to the worship of Baal even more. I mean, after all, we prayed to Yahweh and nothing happened, so we'll go to Baal and see what happens. And occasionally, I'm sure, they would do the Baal ceremonies and then it would rain a little bit. And they would think, oh, there's something to this. I mean, all of this is getting mixed up. So God then would send uh, raiding armies in. They were promised that if uh, you will honor the Lord, he'll keep your borders secure. And what happened? Well, there were these tribes that would come over the border and they would loot border villages. And that was supposed to get their attention, but it didn't. And God sent prophets. Now, the prophets were a little different than the typical religious leaders. These are the ones that were called by God for the purpose of giving the word of God because they weren't getting it at the temple and they weren't getting it in their family like they were supposed to. Because remember, Moses had told them in Deuteronomy that the main teaching of the scripture and of the law of God was to be done in the home, reinforced by the temple, but in the home. And they were told that they were to do this while they were walking and sitting and lying down. You remember that. And because that's not happening, God raises up men. And they're strong men. They're tough men for the most part, very persecuted. And uh, they were coming and bringing the word of God. And they were bringing a message of repent or there's going to be tremendous consequences, doom, in other words, that's going to be coming upon the land. But at the same time, there were these false prophets. And you know what they were saying? Everything's going to be fine. God is blessing you now. And look at the stock market, we might say. Uh, look at the way your crops are doing. Look at the way your herds are reproducing. I mean, look at all of this. God's not going to destroy us. He's blessing us. And besides, in Judah, that's where the temple is. God wouldn't destroy his own house. And at one point, God told Jeremiah, these are people that are not prophesying in my name. But if you were an, a citizen there of Judah, which person would you rather hear? The person who says everything's going to be great and it's going to get better or the person who says uh, we're in trouble? And so this type of thing was happening and God finally had enough. And he allowed the Babylonians to grow and to become powerful and to invade Judah, to take them captive and to destroy the very temple that the false prophets had said God would never allow to be destroyed. Okay. Now all of that is leading up to get us to this psalm to see that Asaph is kind of looking back in some ways, and he's also praying about the future in others. Notice how he puts it in, uh, we'll go down to verse 3. Lift up your feet to the perpetual desolations. He's talking to the Lord. The enemy has damaged everything in the sanctuary. Your enemies roar in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their banners for signs. They seem like men who lift up axes among the thick trees, lumberjacks, 
And now they break down its carved work at once with axes and hammers. That's inside the temple. They have set fire to your sanctuary. And they have defiled the dwelling place of your name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them all together. They have burned up all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, nor is there any among us who knows how long. So it was bad enough that the enemy had destroyed everything, but now it seems like the God that they knew would be their only hope had also abandoned them. This is a hopeless and helpless situation. And as Asaph talks about all of this, he is looking at some things that maybe we could say he misses. Do you have anything in your life that you miss? Is there anything in your spiritual walk that you miss? I look back at when I was first saved, and I look back at when everything was fresh. And I was a pretty naive person in a lot of things. I would uh, see somebody that would be preaching or read their book, and I just assumed that everybody wanted to accurately interpret the Word of God, that everybody wanted to be a servant, that they were doing it for the building up of the body of Christ and for the glory of Christ. And um, I was like a baby crawling on the floor, finding anything on the floor and putting it in my mouth, taking it in. You did that as well. And everything was new, everything was fresh, everything was exciting. And then things started happening. You started realizing that you were in a war. You started realizing that there were people out there who did not have your best interest at heart, who were not true men of God, who were in it for the money, who were twisting Scripture and deceiving. And uh, I wanted to know how to walk and not be deceived, how to be discerning, how to be wise, how to accurately interpret the Scripture. And so I set out on all of that. Now, unfortunately... In the pursuit of that, you can also become cynical. You can also become kind of negative. You can also lose zeal and lose joy. In fact, you get kind of suspicious of every new thing that comes along. Well, if it's popular, what's really wrong with it? And what's this guy's real angle? And many times over the decades that I have known the Lord, I've been right. And being right doesn't always make you feel good and make you feel happy. Sometimes it makes you feel sad. Sometimes it makes you feel discouraged. Sometimes it makes you feel angry. And there are those times when I look back at my early walk with God and I miss some of that, don't you? There are times when I have been closer to the Lord. There are times when I've seen more prayers answered. There are times when I have seen more miracles. There are times when I've seen more people being saved. Boy, I miss those kind of things. And so while you and I don't know the timing of everything that God does... I mean, 3,000 were saved on the day of Pentecost, but that didn't happen every day. It didn't happen the day before, and it probably didn't happen exactly the same way the day after. There are certain times and seasons, movements of God that happen, and uh, sometimes you get to be a part of those, and you rejoice in that, and then you think, how sad is it that there are people that are younger than me that never experience some of the things that I have experienced? That's Asaph. That's us. That's human nature. That's the way we look. 
What did Asaph miss? When he looked back at the history of Israel and the time before the invasion of the Babylonians, what was it that he missed? Well, the first thing that I noticed is he is asking the Lord, lift up your feet. That's kind of a euphemism for running. Run over here to the desolate places. And what he's actually doing is praying that this God that seems like he's taken off and just abandoned them and now they're desolated. Oh Lord, come back and come back quickly to where this desolation is. Now we know theologically the Lord is everywhere and he didn't do that, but he did lift up the hedge and he did let the enemy come in. Why did he do that? Because Israel had been so disobedient and there just wasn't any other way that they were going to learn. Oh, and by the way, after 70 years of Babylonian captivity, the Jews had a lot of other problems, as we read in the New Testament. But idolatry was never again one of those problems. It, it took some severe things to get them to learn their lesson. And I try to live my life, and I encourage you to do it in such a way that I'm responsive to what God says so he doesn't have to get so severe in order to correct the things that are wrong in our lives. Now, when Asaph is asking for the Lord to hurry back to the scene of the crime, the scene of the desolation, it just is a reminder that the presence of God is something that we take for granted. And I think the Jews had done that. They had seen the glory cloud. They had seen all of those kind of things. And the high priest going into the Holy of Holies and making atonement for the sins of the people. All of those kind of things. Now it's gone. And Asaph looks at this and he says, Oh, I wish the Lord would come back. I wish he would show his presence again. And Asaph longed, of course, for the presence of God in his life, in worship in all of those kind of things. Um, you and I can get like that as well, taking the Lord so for granted until the Lord maybe lets up the hedge or he takes away the sense of his presence as he does sometimes in the scripture. And so um, we can look at that and go, oh, I wish I had appreciated that more when I had it. And so uh, here Asaph understands that the desolation here, it's a, he calls it a perpetual desolation see he doesn't know how long this is going to last he doesn't know how bad it's going to get he doesn't know the depth of all of this and so he sees well it's hopeless apart from God so he prays for God to return and repair secondly he longed for the Lord's peace to quiet his life in verse 4 he describes a very chaotic and confusing and noisy scene. And it's taking place in the house of God. In that place where there ought to be peace and meditation and reflection and hearing the word of God and singing the songs of God and, and uh, feeling his presence. Yet what is happening? There's nothing but noise and chaos. And it's not the noise of construction because when the temple was built, you remember, they had everything... Uh, the stones and everything cut so exact that they didn't even have to have the sound of a hammer when they were putting together the temple. But now it's nothing but chaos and confusion and noise. He says here that it sounds like people, lumberjacks, 
people with axes that are clearing out a uh, pathway in the midst of very thick trees. That's noisy. Except that in this case, they're not making a path. They're tearing apart the temple. They're tearing apart the carved panels that Solomon had put up. They are destroying everything, and then they actually burn it to the ground, even in the very sanctuary, the dwelling place of God. Isn't it interesting to think that if any of these Jews had walked into the part of the temple where they weren't allowed, there was a court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the men, there was a place where the priests could go, and then the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go on one time a year. And it was under penalty of death if they violated that. Now the presence of God has been withdrawn so that here these pagan uh, Babylonians are in the temple, in the place where any Jew would have been killed. And they're not there to worship. They're not there to honor God. They are there to blaspheme. They are there to mock. They are there to curse. And they are there for destruction. And Asaph says that the sound of their axes and everything that they're using to tear down all of that, that it's noisy, that it is chaotic and uh, confusing... And it also was very dismaying. Your enemies, listen to these words, they roar in the midst of your meeting place. They set up banners, idolatrous military banners, uh, signs of victory that they put right there in the temple of God. And they seem like men who lift up axes among the thick trees. And now they break down the carved work all at once with axes and with hammers. Asaph longs for peace. Asaph longs for things to be ordered. Asaph longs for things even to be maybe a little boring because he didn't realize just how great that was and, in, and Israel didn't realize just how great that was just to have peace and quiet in the land. It reminds me of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says, Wherefore I, Therefore I exhort... Pardon me, I can't speak... Uh, First of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Now notice the purpose, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. There's just something about having peace. Something about that. And that was missing in Asaph's time because of the sin of Israel. Thirdly, Um, Asaph describes the way this destruction is and uh, this temple of God, this house of God that had been so beautiful and so well-maintained, high-quality craftsmanship, valuable materials. All of this is the way that it had been since Solomon. But when you get down to verse 7, it talks about destruction, fire. Think about the ash and the soot that's there. They've defiled the uh, holy place of your name to the ground. It's torn down the, oh, the blocks, the wood, the furnishings, anything. They took the valuable stuff away. The rest they trashed. I guess we could say looted maybe on that. And they said in their heart, let us destroy them all together. And they burned up all the meeting places of God in the land. So burning, fire, destruction, Uh, breaking, tearing down, all of this. In fact, um, in the book of uh, Zechariah, 
It says in there, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Remember that verse? And then it says, this mountain shall be removed. What's the mountain that he's talking about there? Well, if you read that, it's Zerubbabel surveying the mountain of the ruins of the temple. That's what Asaph is talking about. This is a big, massive building. And the rubble that is here is like a mountain, later on described like a mountain. And so when Asaph looks at all of this, he sees these things that were dedicated to the Lord, that were kept so clean ceremonially and otherwise, and now they're dirty and there's ash and all of that all around. And I think that you look at Asaph longing for purity. There was a time when things seemed clean, when things seemed pure. So there was the presence of God, there was the peace of God, and then there was purity in the worship of God and in the maintaining of the things of God. Everything in life uh, was pure at one point. But now what is happening, it's all destroyed, and the public ceremonial worship of God grinds to a halt. They can't offer sacrifices without a temple. They can't do the things that they used to do at the temple that they had done for generations. That has all stopped now. It's as if God said, I've had enough. And the defilement that you see by the Babylonians of the temple, I think, was a picture of the defilement that God saw in the hearts of his people. David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And I think the Jews of that day do the same thing that we do. We get so involved in the outward ceremony, we forget that God looks in the heart. And the rubble and the burning and the dirtiness that was seen in the temple on the temple mount is a picture of what God saw when he looked into his people's hearts. What does God see when he looks into your heart? They longed for idols. They ignored the prophets. And God said, I'm going to give you what you wish. And you're going to hate it, of course. And number four, uh, Asaph also was looking back, longing for the prophets to speak. Now remember, they hated the prophets. They despised the prophets. They didn't like preaching. They didn't like the word of God. They didn't like hearing the truth. And so God says, okay. And so he shut it off. Can you imagine Asaph now is seeing that not as a positive, but as a negative. In verse 9, he goes, we do not see our signs. We only see the pagan signs, don't we? There is no longer any prophet. Well, wait a minute. You guys didn't want a prophet. You hated the prophets. You persecuted the prophets. You killed the prophets. Ah, but you don't know what you've really got until it's gone, do you? Now, all of a sudden, longing for the prophets. Nor is there anyone among us who knows how long. There's nobody that can give them a word. There's nobody that can give them explanation. There's no one that can give them wise counsel. Not at least at, the, at this point. At least it seems that way. And so now the very thing that they loathed. Oh, preaching again? prophesying again do we have to hear all of this message again and everything goes on and on and on like that until it's gone now oh if only we had a prophet if only there were a word from God you see when you think about the way Israel treated the prophets they were persecuted through ridicule by being told to be quiet 
by uh, unpleasant looks, through accusations and having their message reported to the authorities. They were banned, at least Jeremiah was, from uh, attending God's house and worship. Actually, can you imagine Jeremiah being put out of the temple? And uh, they were having their prophetic words, both spoken and written. They were rejected. In fact, in one case, in Jeremiah, they were actually cut up and burned, right? There was physical violence to their persons. Um, they were placed in stocks. They were kept in chains. They were slapped in the face. They were imprisoned in cells and dungeons. Jeremiah was put into a cistern. And in some cases, they were um, given just bread and water to subsist on. And they were threatened with death while others were actually put to death. Jesus even mentioned um, this in Luke chapter 11. And so uh, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. There may come a day, and maybe we're living in that day, and maybe the times in which we're living is God's way of telling us, not necessarily the world, they're not going to listen, but what about us as the people of God? Do we take the presence of God for granted? One of these days we may long for it. Do we take the peace of God for granted? One of these days we may really long for it. Do we take the purity of God? Are we allowing things in our lives that we know ought not be there? One of these days we'll long for it. And do we take the preaching of God's word for granted? Because one day we may once again long for it. Hey folks, this is just an example of how we need to be careful. Because, again, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And we don't know what the plan is for our culture, for our society, for our nation. I pray we have revival. I pray that we do. But I don't know. Let's appreciate what we've got while we have it and learn to accept the blessings of God as we ought to for the glory of God. And let's not be the people that when it's over, we look back and we weep over that. You see, there's going to be a time when they rebuild the temple. The exiles are going to return from Babylon after 70 years, and they're going to lay the foundation of the temple. And the Bible says when they do this, the younger people rejoice because they never knew a temple and they never knew temple worship. The old people wept because they saw that the temple was significantly smaller and less than what they had before. Do you see that? That's kind of the way we are and that's kind of the way human nature works. May God forgive us and may God restore us to appreciate and love the things that he is doing and the things that he is working and um, performing in our midst even now. And may we never ever despise or overlook the chastening of God as it purifies us. And may we always hunger and thirst for the word of God as it is proclaimed to us. So thank you for taking time to listen to this. But please, take the message to heart. Take it to heart. Pray about it. And let it change your life for the glory of God. Because again, you don't know what you've got until it's gone.